Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to a very special episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian and Andrew, and today we will be talking about uh, Barbecue Dynasty. Yeah, a, uh, a very big figure important to Texas barbecue history. And as we keep going through the history of Texas barbecue, um, one of the you know seminal figures of that is uh, Louis Miller and, of course, Bobby Miller as well in the Miller family. And what that family has meant to Texas barbecue is undeniable. Um, the roots run very deep. We've had the privilege of having John Miller on the show in the past, as well as Wayne Miller. And um, we have both of them on the show today. Um, we're discussing a Bobby Miller's legacy and the Louis Miller legacy and uh, releasing this episode in, in memory of Bobby on his birthday. Um, Bobby would have been 79 years old this year. Um, so we've got quite a bit of detail to get into here. Um, there's a long legacy of the Louis Miller barbecue restaurant, um, how it started, where it's gone, you know, obviously where it is today and it's standing in Texas barbecue is still at the, in the upper echelon. You know, it's still one of the most revered places to go. And, you know, it, uh, it all started back, um, it, it, you know, one of the beautiful things about barbecue history in Texas is as far back as it does go, and, and few places have the history that Louis Miller Barbecue does. Um, Louis himself arrived into Taylor back in 1936, and he was working at a Safeway store there. Um, eventually was able to open his own store, which was Louis Miller's Complete Food Store, which was not a barbecue restaurant. Um, that was in 1946, but um, they began uh, serving barbecue basically in the alleyway behind the, the lot. And that was the, the stories you always hear about Texas barbecues, serving the meats that you couldn't sell that day. They were smoked to preserve them and then sold inexpensively out in the back. Right. Yeah. It was in complete food store. Man, it was it was a grocery store. It was a butcher store, a butcher shop. Um, they'd sell cuts of meat. What didn't sell, like you said, got smoked in the alley and they were sold to, you know, it's there's a you know, railroad tracks running right through Taylor. And, you know, they would sold to the people coming in and out of the town, um, farmers around the area. There was a big farming area up around that uh, area at the time. Um, and it was it was just meant as a way to to get something out of that product that didn't sell. And so that was how a lot of barbecue started. And that was Louis Miller's beginnings also. And that that continued to grow. Word obviously got around as much as it could back in the day. And they wound up in 1959. They bought the building that you can go to today. Um, the main dining area there, and that was when it became Louis Miller Barbecue. Yeah, uh, 1959. Yep, that was a former gymnasium. Um, had it had a great history. I think uh, I think Wayne was telling us that building's over a hundred years old now. Um, so it had a lot of history before the barbecue restaurant opened, and then obviously the the history has only grown leaps and bounds since then. Um, so Louis Miller opened as a barbecue restaurant in 1959. Um, Bobby Miller. Louis' son started working there at age 14, um, just, you know, doing whatever needed to be done in the restaurant. That's how businesses operated. You used your family as, you know, as employees. You had to because um, it wasn't a it wasn't a high dollar enterprise that they were getting into. You know, we're talking about 50 cent links of sausage and things like that in the early days. And so you know, Bobby worked there, uh, eventually went to, went to school. And uh, came back home, like so many of us are wont to do, and uh, came back in 1964, um, continuing working until 74 when um, he took over. 
And that was when, um, you know, kind of the Bobby era shifted from the Louis Miller era to the Bobby era. Right. And, and understanding you'll hear this in the clips with John and with Wayne, um, Bobby wasn't a cook when he went to Louis Miller originally. He was a butcher at the butcher, sh- uh, butcher shop, but he had to learn the barbecue business and, and, and how to cook. And he did, you know, jumped in headfirst and learned all of it. Um, and uh, he took over the business as, as Louis Miller retired. And uh, Louis Miller passed away in 1992. Bobby and, and the family kept the business going up until obviously up until today, the business is still running and thriving. Um, we, there was, there's been expansions to Louis Miller that we've alluded to in previous episodes and things like that. And, you know, the, the accolades that Louis Miller received were numerous as you know, the Texas monthly list began, uh, I believe it was in the eighties, Brian, 74, 73, 74, 74, but I think then there was another gap before they did. Another yeah, there's one. a huge gap. But Louis Miller has always been part of that Texas monthly list, which is now obviously a very disgusting in barbecue. Um, and it was, you know, it was one of those places that was revered you know, going back to its, to its roots. And then, uh, in 2006, uh, it was, it was an American classics, James Beard winner. Uh, I believe it was the first barbecue restaurant to see, receive that accolade. Yeah. Very prestigious award. And, and now, um, continues on as, as a legacy of the barbecue business, as the barbecue industry as a whole, and the Miller family as a whole, continuing to travel the roads of barbecue across Texas. Right. And I mean, it's important to note, um, we were very, very, fortunate to get Wayne and John on this episode. We, we would have loved to have Leanne on as well. We weren't able to work out a, a time that worked for her, um, but we would love to have Leanne on at any time to talk about Bobby. If you've been to Law Barbecue, you, you know full well how important Bobby is to, to Leanne. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to the whole family and to all of us, you know, for, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I never got to meet Bobby. I, I did get to meet Trish, which was a, a very special moment for me. But um, so I, I, I don't have that memory of Bobby. And that's one of the reasons why we both wanted to, to do this episode is to, you know, recognize and appreciate who he was. Right. And then, you know, it seemed his birthday seemed like a, a really good time to to reflect on that. And so that's why we have uh, put this episode together to release in, in conjunction with uh, what would have been Bobby's uh, 79th birthday. Let's get into some some clips here. We've got uh, Wayne and John talking. Um, first clip you'll hear here is um, kind of John talking about how Bobby took over the restaurant, you know, coming from the food store. So uh, here's, uh, here's John Miller. My dad took over in 74. And before that, he was at Louis Miller complete grocery store or food store and um before 1974 i i was six i didn't even know there was a barbecue place i'd go see my dad at the at the grocery store because he was a butcher there and then um in the afternoons i'd go hop on my grandpa's lap at diamond inn where he was drinking a pearl and uh visiting with his friends and until my dad went over, we never, or I never knew there was a barbecue place. And then soon after that, Wayne and I both had a broom in our hands and it started there. So Bobby put you to work as soon as he started working I, at I the think barbecue we, joint? We, I think we probably more or less begged him to do it in a way, you know. Partly to kind of spend time with him. Was oh yeah, yeah, big time with my grandpa, and my dad. Yeah, it, that was cool to me. Uh, at about the same time, I think I was the only eight-year-old that was uh, six at when we went to the bar. Eight-year-old that was cutting my grandpa's grass, 
it was everything to to spend time because I loved hanging out with him and I loved hanging out with my dad. A lot of us have great memories of our father and, and the characters for which they were. Um, the Miller family as a whole has that reverence for, for Bobby. Listen in here as Wayne talks about Bobby. I liken it to following Vince Lombardi as a coach. It's just impossible, you know. I, I knew my dad in really two phases of life. My early years, which started here in 1974, he was not only provider and disciplinarian and, and mentor, he was also boss. And I promise you he was much harder on me than he was on anybody else in the place. So I, I was uh, doing rudimentary work, sweeping floors, cleaning bathrooms, taking out trash, washing dishes, twisting sausage, those sort of things. And that, you know, that, that kept me preoccupied for a number of years. But seeing him in that light, and then seeing him in a completely different light when I returned back in 2006, 2007, it really is a stark contrast. I, and one of the big reasons I wanted to come back was to spend time with him as an adult, um, to learn more about him on a one-to-one -one basis rather than in this um, dominant subordinate role. Throughout the years, all of the Miller family, all of the children worked in the restaurant uh, doing different tasks, you know, obviously, you know, sweeping floors when they were younger and then, you know, building up to working with the food. Uh, here's John Miller talking about when he started to work with the actual food production of the restaurant. Um, how old were you when you started being able to do anything with the food at the restaurant? I think around 10 years old, I uh, started cutting bull meat and brisket for sausage. Uh, and then peeling potatoes, stuff like that. Chopping onions. That came later. And that was a little bigger knife, so it <laughs> came later. And but no, that believe me, that was a big part of it. Um, it was just uh, no back in those days and growing up in that environment. If my dad would have been a garbage man, you'd be interviewing me for BFI or something like that. Cause my, I, my, I would my have dad been a worked for 7-Up, and I remember going to the 7-Up yeah. plant, you know, I mean, hanging out, watching the bottles being bottled. Right, right. And it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun to, to be down there, go after school, spend your weekends there, and be around your dad, be around your grandpa, and learn... Uh, from them and it, it was nothing like um, what the the explosion or the exposure is now it, it was just work here John talks about uh, his grandfather Louis Miller the namesake of the restaurant and how in John's opinion Louis Miller was the smartest of the bunch because he never cooked a brisket in his life he was an entrepreneur he owned the restaurant but uh, he didn't get behind the pits my, gra my grandpa was a great entrepreneur, but he was smarter than, than most of us. My grandpa never cooked a brisket in his life. <laughs> he had somebody else. He, he was a, wasn't a pit master or whatever a pit master is, but damn, he was good to his employees. He treated everybody really, really well, and you won't find anyone to ever say anything bad about him. Other than the, the Miller family, somebody that was very important to the business over the years was Fred Fontaine. Fred had worked there for 40 years, um, and a lot of people didn't hear about him until uh, you know Daniel Vaughn had released that article on uh, Texas Monthly, TMBBQ, 
to kind of introduce them to us and talk a little bit about it. Really good information in that article, um, but listen to it from the Miller family's own words. When Dad came over in 74, he, I mean, he had to learn. He knew how to make the sausage. He'd been doing that since 65. But he was, you know, he'd had some time on the pits before he made the, the move over, but not much. So Fred was still the, the predominant cook. Um, Dad came in, as each generation does, and, and puts their their prints on it in some way or form. You know, we added some something besides beans. We added coleslaw and potato salad. And Dad was really focusing on, okay, how can we be a bit more consistent with the meat? Because a, a typical day at any barbecue establishment was, if you were going to go eat there, you could talk to the locals and they would tell you the exact time and the exact day to go eat because it's absolutely in its wheelhouse right then. Right. At like well, the it, holding, holding wasn't a thing. Holding back wasn't then. a thing, and right. every individual cook really did their own thing. There was no standardized, I think, process within an organization. Sometimes, much less within an entire organization or, or um, industry like we see today. It's it's very standardized. But he wanted to, you know, he saw that those that there is that flux and he wanted to really stabilize that um, and he worked on that probably the better part of four or five years and worked with Fred and, and communication was always a challenge I think um, just two hard-headed old guys really one really set in his ways and one really determined to make things you know even incrementally better and so Fred was here and they uh, they began splitting time probably mid 70s, say 75, 76. Fred was here, I guess, till 86, 87. So uh, the two of them, plus usually a cashier and, and a floor person. And that was it. And that was it. That's a lot of, lot of work. That's a whole lot, a lot of work. And, and you know, the traffic isn't what it is today, but still, Saturday traffic, you would sell out one o'clock. And Dad was totally fine with that. What was it, 80-something? I guess Texas Monthly did the first deal where Fred Fontaine was named one of the king of Texas barbecue. And Fred had worked for my grandpa in the grocery store until two cooks quit, and he sent Fred over to Louis Miller's to cook over there. Fred was a butcher at the store? Or? No, no. Fred stocked groceries. Oh, okay. He never cooked in his life, never dealt with meat. My uh, wow. Wesley Miller, my godfather, was a butcher. My dad was a butcher, and they sent Fred over to cook. Hmm. And so the guy had no experience. Turned out pretty good, though. That's what I've heard. Yeah, I, I never got to experience it. Uh, he was a good guy. And he gets lost a lot in, in a lot of lore of Texas barbecue where he shouldn't. So as the children grew up and, and got more involved in the restaurant, um, John especially, uh, John started working and cooking the barbecue with his dad. And um, John eventually was given the reins to to start cooking more days out of the week solo without Bobby's help. And so uh, this is a really fun clip of John talking about how he got that indoctrination into cooking barbecue without his dad there to help. I was making full-blown sausage in high school, stuffing it. Was that still with that old stuffer that they Oh, had yeah, that, the um, old stuffer, <laughs> yes. Kind of oh, vertical God. One we, didn't get, we didn't get the, the electric stuffer until 1997. Wow. 98, somewhere around there. It was crank. still the hand-cranked thing. And, and I was wondering why my dad was so eager to get me on it. And 
But uh, especially in Louis Miller's, if you've never been in there, it's cold in the wintertime. And you have to mix the ice and the sausage and do all that. And so you're freezing. But it wasn't until I came back. You know, I worked every summer through college when I was at Tech. And, and I came back in 91 full time to work with him. That We worked about six months together and never touched a fire. He would show me in his way of showing me. Hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. But I never shown up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I showed up at 6. And so one Friday, and it was in May, and it's busy in May there because the weather is just right to where you're going to get a whole lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's a good time to be traveling in Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And so Friday I walk in in, in May and... Uh, he says, I don't feel too well. My dad never misses work, no matter what. He said, so I'll see you Monday. And he walked out on me. And, and you hadn't been starting the fire. Never started. I didn't have to start that fire. I had to start Saturday's fire. <laughs> and uh, he said, don't call me. This before cell phones, too. And he said, I don't feel good. I'm going home. And it was his way of, all right, you've learned do it you've watched me long enough do it and i did it and that's where i came up with my really hot and fast method <laughs> it was it was uh thrown in the heat of fire and uh and and back thankfully, then they weren't doing they weren't cooking briskets for 12 hours back then no no it was all hot and fast everybody credits me for this hot and fast bullshit can i say that on this podcast you can oh, say yeah. anything you want but that's We're going just, explicit on this one. That's, <laughs> that's the way I learned. Uh, my dad showed up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We opened at 10.30. I mean, you do the math. And he had 25 briskets sitting on a pit. And we were, we were open at 10.30. And we didn't and have leftovers. he trimmed them that morning too, right? Yes, he yeah. trimmed them all because we needed it for sausage. And uh, so it's, it's just really, really hot, really, really fast. One of the things that we heard repeated many times uh, when we talked about Bobby was his work ethic. Um, I, I know, and uh, it's been said that he's worked over 160,000 hours at the restaurant during his time there. Um, listen in as Wayne talks about um, Bobby, his work, and a piece of trivia that you may not know. So I, I've heard a lot about you know work ethic, and I you know I my own dad. There's a, there's a whole generation before us that had this unbelievable work ethic that they oh, yeah. didn't. It, it wasn't something they thought about. It's just they did. Always went to work, never complained. And, you know, temperature-wise, how they felt that day body-wise, they just, they just did it, and they did it up until they literally could not do it anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it, certainly that's what I've heard about Bobby as well. I mean, it literally worked up to the day he died. Uh, he passed away in his sleep, um, September 5th, 6th. And... I remember leaving here with him that, that evening and just joking around. I mean, sometimes you could, uh, you know, he moved kind of slow then. He's kind of crouched over, and but he was still moving as, you know, like he's still moving. And uh, I'm just giving him a hard time about being an old man. And he's, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to go have a Budweiser. Leave me alone. So... And I didn't think, nobody thought twice about it, but it was literally up till then. I mean, he had a sign. There's, we used to have this sign um, at the very front corner on the, 
uh, southwest corner of the building, probably about a 75 pound sign. And it was hung uh, about 20, 25 feet up. He was opening these doors one day and the sign fell on his head. Oh I mean, God. it dropped from there straight down on the corner, hit him on the crown of the head and put him to the ground. Wow. He was back to work after he got back from the emergency room. That's just the way he was. The same day? Same day. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and back then as well, I mean, you know, you guys still obviously make the sausage today, but there's a lot of prep involved. There is. I mean, I mean you see that old stuffer. That's what he used from the time that he, we closed the grocery store. We had a water press over there that we used to actually stuff it out. But he used that from 74 until 2000. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a lot of Every sausage. Day. Right? Yeah. yeah, and you guys Every made a day. lot of sausage. My gosh, just the, the sheer volume of doing that by hand every day is kind of amazing. You know, back of the napkin uh, calculation puts him at a minimum of a million sausage that he yeah. pressed through there by hand. That's just amazing when you think right. about it. Incredible. But, I mean, 35 years, I guess you can, you can squeeze out a lot of lengths. <laughs> yeah. you know? He was an avid runner. He, in 84, um, in, the, in the lead up to the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles, the Olympic torch passed through Williamson County. And so dad was one of the, one of the runners locally wow. to carry the torch. Oh, that's fantastic. That's yeah. A bit of Bobby trivia, <laughs> you know. He was an avid runner. I, um, probably even when he couldn't run anymore because his, he had really bad feet, uh, he would still get out and walk three to five miles a day uh, just, amazing. For, just to get out, clear his head. I really believe that it was about decompressing for the day. It was about sort of mm -hmm. thinking through a lot of things. He didn't say much. Um, but was a was a thoughtful and insightful man, and uh, he was always trying to pull something on me. <laughs> but yeah, he he was he was a runner. The man was what five foot seven, five foot eight, one hundred and sixty five pounds maybe. But he had this he had this yeti foot, right? I mean, he had this giant footprint. How do you follow in those footsteps? Yeah, he really becomes um, more mythical to me every day. As the the longer I'm in this, and the, the longer this this marathon for me continues, I really begin to see and, and I, I think in higher resolution what he did in every single day. And I'm just like I can't imagine. I just can't imagine. It's um, it's just too far out there for me to sort of grasp grasp onto you because because you're all in i mean i i feel that i'm all in but not the way he was N not the way he was he lived here i mean almost you know he's spending three or four hours waking hours elsewhere and the rest of his waking time is right here so listen to now uh john miller talks about kind of the evolution of the louis miller menu um the building expansion that took place uh towards the end of the century 1999 2000 and some of the additions that Leanne Miller made to the menu uh, as she was growing up, including uh, some, some innovation she made to the sausage. So those, those menus back then, are they, you know, are they pretty similar to what was served? No, brisket was seven ninety five a pound well, back then. price-wise, I'm sure it was a heck of a lot different. <laughs> but I know beef ribs have been on the menu forever at Louis Miller. I know they're really popular now. I'm going to credit my dad, honestly, with that revolution. There, back until... I would say the mid to late 90s that um, we did brisket and sausage. We did some chuck roast. We did some T-bones. And then we started so throwing some uh, 
pork ribs on. Not many. And then one day, it, it, this one guy named George Cummings, who owned Taylor Refrigerated Warehouse, which is now O'Brien Meat Company, he said, y'all should try these beef chuck ribs. So we tried them, and they sold, and they were cheap back then. They weren't like they are now. They are cheaper than brisket. And then he came up with, hey, y'all, to try this turkey. We tried it. It went well, too. And that, that's and, kind of the shift from... The, the legacy and the history was getting rid of meats that you couldn't right, sell from fresh. The market, sure. Right, and this is kind of where it starts to transition mm -hmm. to you're buying meats to cook specifically to cook and serve at the barbecue restaurant. Exactly. Big, big the, shift, really. There's no more meat market, Right. but you're still sticking towards your, um, your brisket and your sausage, and that's it. That's, what, that's your main sellers. And, and my mom's recipe of potato salad, which is pretty kick-ass. And uh, but then we start to grow, and uh, that really took off. The different meats we we did a few chickens on the weekends. Never did them during the week. Uh, chickens take up as much room as a brisket, and you can get back then. I'll tell you, late '90s, you get seventy bucks for a brisket, or you get nine dollars for a chicken. So it's it's not hard to decide what you're going to do, right. and we, like you say, being working class, um, we stuck to what people are going to buy at lunch, and then on the weekends started branching out, and then we went full blown with the new building and all. And what was that like with the new building? Did y'all build pits for the new building yeah, specifically? Yeah, we bought, we bought uh, built that. If you look at that other side, you'll see we had that. It kind of looks like the original pit. It's in front behind the butcher block. Right. We just made it twice as big. And then for pork sausage, we built a smoker in, in another room to do pork sausage. Just because we used to sell it raw like that or smoked. Was it just the regular sausage back in those days? There wasn't any of the jalapeno or? Leanne, I got to give her credit for that. Uh, Leanne was working with us and Leanne came up, hey, let's try this jalapeno sausage. And uh, Lee and I would go out together a lot at night, and we'd come up with really great ideas. As most people do when they go <laughs> where, out. Where did you go? I say, where did you go out? Go everywhere. But uh, she came up with the jalapeno sausage, um, which really did well. And it was after I left that they did the the chipotle sausage. But we. Uh, Lee and I tried a jalapeno cheese sausage one time, but we actually used. The real sharp cheddar cheese, the like real cheese. Instead of the high temp, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It was the greasiest sausage. You gotta be careful, yeah, because yeah, it'll, it'll just, just turn totally into grease. Out. But yeah, it was yeah. the best sausage I've ever had in my <laughs> life. You just can't hold it together, it, right. just, it just leaks out. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, the hours of operation back then, as far as an employee, you know, you mentioned it, you know, they, they were shut down overnight. There was nothing going on? No, not at all. Um, my dad would come in, like I said, at 4. I'd come in at 6. And that changed when we alternated days. But uh, normally he'd leave by 2, and I'd stay open until 6 by myself. And uh, we just ran it like a store. Y'all do sausage? Y'all make the sausage every day or it, once a week? We, or? No, we made it three times a week. Times a week. Yeah, we were open six days. We made it three times a week. Um, 175 pounds at a time 
It's a lot of sausage. Especially on a hand crank. Yeah, it's a lot of me, It really is. It's a lot. Everything we did uh, was fresh every day, homemade. Right. That's a labor of love because these aren't artisanal sausages you're selling for $5 a link. This right. is what working man sausages. This is know. what we're still doing probably $1.75 a link maybe. The good old days. Yeah, or at, <laughs> I guess when. Places are up to $5 a link. Oh, now. yeah, 75 cents a link probably early on. And, uh, it, yeah, it's a labor of love, but and you had to sell a lot of barbecue to make any kind of money during those days. Wayne, John, and Bobby all had left the business uh, from being a young individual and then came back at a later time in their life to work and talk amongst each other. And there's a big shift, as you would imagine, in how you interact with your family members from a younger age to an older age. Listen in as Wayne discusses that. Kind of what, what was, for you anyway, what was the shift as far as how you viewed Louis Miller as a restaurant, as a business growing up in it as opposed to coming back as an adult who's had a successful career elsewhere? When you're eight years old in, 19, in the mid-70s, you, your preference was to be outside playing ball with your friends, riding your bike, doing something else, not being pinned in in the four walls, these confines, you know, sort of indentured servitude. Big but, windows out on, on on Main Street here that you can see everybody else running around and well, it, but then I think you have to keep it in context. In you don't think about it because you're so egocentric when you're eight years old. You know the whole world revolves around you. That's just the way it is, right? You don't think about the the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is small towns, whether you whether your parents owned a farm or they owned a, a hardware store or a restaurant. You literally had chores at both places. It's the way these businesses ran for years and years and years. You can keep your labor costs down when you're, when you're paying family. So that was the idea, and everyone I knew whose parents had some sort of business or farm, they undertook the same things. It wasn't unique to me. It just felt like it was unique to me, you know? Um, and so I looked at it, I never, I say this, I don't say it as much as I used to, um, but it became, um, obviously aware, I was obviously aware that people were having an experience, um, often an, maybe an epiphany, a, a first impression when they walked through the door for the first time. Coming in the front door, first, you know, the smells hitting them as they're about to walk in, the sight is just, you know, this is unbelievable. And then you get the taste when you get up to the front, and so your senses are really overloaded. My first, you know, the first thing I, I remember is, is coming in the back door. We didn't have a ramp. We had stairs then, and I fell down the stairs, <laughs> almost rolling into the firebox, know. you know. And, it's, and, and from that point on, it's like get an apron, get a rag, get a broom. You know, that's my first memories are. And I didn't really see it. Behind the scenes. And, yeah, I didn't and see it for what it was. Yeah. And, I mean, when else were you going to eat barbecue? It, it wasn't like today, you know. You just didn't go right. on a barbecue crawl. So I didn't know what this was. I mean, I, I liked it. I knew that. But how do I know it's any different than anybody else's? I just, you know, you just didn't know. And you really didn't think about it in those terms. Um, it wasn't until I left, until I went to college and really ventured out and, and began eating other, other barbecue elsewhere. And you start to realize, man, I'm really homesick for, for what, dad has, what dad's been doing all these years. And, and 
is it really because you're just acclimated to it or is it really just that good and uh, well, there's a lot of barbecue that you know people grew up on and and it's that memory experience right oh and, yeah and we talked you know your, your brain is this connection machine and so there's there's things that draw you to that but yeah. but it was it was you know obviously you were very lucky and honored that that experience was great barbecue too at sure. the same time it but you don't know what just, you have until that's until I mean, you go yeah. so, and you experience right. the rest of the world right that's what i think that was my big revelation um was wow dad you do compare so well before bobby's passing you know one of the great things was that he was able to receive on the restaurant's behalf the american classics award from james beard uh, listen to wayne discuss how that affected him so as Louis Miller and as the barbecue world began to grow and get more recognition outside of the small towns in which they, you know, they provided, how did, how did Bobby feel about that, you know, as far as, the, you know, the Texas Monthly List and then the James Beard Award, which was a huge thing, it was the first Texas barbecue joint to receive any sort of acc- accolade from a national award like that. Was, did that mean something to him, or was it just that here's another day of work? Or what, what, were, what were kind of his thoughts and his reactions that you saw? He understood the practicality to some degree of, of being on Texas Monthly's top 50 list. He saw, because he saw the difference early on, 74, 75, when, when their first really big barbecue article came out. And it was, you know, where, what is the barbecue capital of Texas? Is it Lockhart or is it Taylor? And there was a legitimate, I think there was a legitimate argument at the time. Well, out, out, not far outside of Taylor and Austin, a lot of people had probably never heard of Louis Miller at the time. Right. Well, and this is way before information right. age to where a magazine like that may be your only exposure to barbecue outside of your general area. And because that magazine by the, t- you know, 20, 25 years in had reached a pretty high subscription rate, its viewership and its reach was probably close to its peak. And he could tell when a top 50 list came out he saw traffic increase and he saw it increase tremendously for a long period of time and that's one thing that texas monthly's top 50 list has done it's it acts as a travel guide right people keep it in their glove box they and they use it for their crawls i mean it's it really is a sort of bible of the who's who of of texas barbecue and he saw that then and he and that really began his love-hate relationship with the media he really couldn't stand anybody being behind the line, over the block, hovering over him, not giving him room. He was just like, you know, just, you're in my way. You know, just gritting his teeth. And it's like, I swear to God, I thought he was gonna stroke out a couple of times. It's like, dad, dad, this is good. They're in my way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right, I'll work with it. I'll work with it. I'll fix it. I was his fixer for a year and a half, right? I don't know what he would have thought about all of this because it's a shame that he didn't, that he, he's kind of like Moses in a way, you know, he got right there. He could see the promised land. It just couldn't get in. You know, it was just that shy, you know, the 2008 edition, which was the bomb edition, right? They just, it just blew up Texas barbecue. Uh, he was, he was here. He got the whole summer of that edition and it really, it opened his eyes quite a bit. Because for the first time, you were seeing lines literally wrapping in and around. People here. were lining up before open then. And it was a whole yeah. different thing. He was just kind of like, I'm too old for this. You know, this is, I'm just too old for this. This is too much attention. So one of the legendary things about Louis Miller, and that's since been extended to people that have connections to Louis Miller, is the, the first bite that you get when you get to the order encounter. 
it's it's one of those things that's that gets you excited about ordering the barbecue and it's that first bite but it didn't originate just as this like great thing as john will tell you um it started as a completely different uh means to an end one of the things that's that's iconic to louis miller and that we see all over the place now at lots of barbecue joints is the welcoming piece of brisket at when you get to the counter the, the ordering counter the little nugget of brisket when did that start? Is Fred that, Fontaine. That started I'll with go Fred. Go back to, with Fred again. Um, back with Fred. All right. Yeah. And and why was that? Was it just I, you know? I think it? it's because we had a lot of regular customers back then, and a lot of railroaders, Union Pacific, all that, and the lines were long, so you, it came out. You just was it to get them to try the brisket? No, was it just get it them was to shut the fatty up. Side? <laughs> you know, you you've been yeah. waiting in line long enough, so here you got something to shut you up, and and you can keep going. But I think Fred started out doing it to people that he knew. And then my dad carried it, uh, giving it to everybody. It was a, a very special time listening to uh, these gentlemen talk about their father and their grandfather. And we felt very lucky to be on the other side listening. Um, you know, when you still go to Louis Miller Barbecue today, you definitely feel that connection. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a special place. There's there's nothing like walking into that building, and there's nothing like listening to Wayne and John and Leanne and everyone just talk about what a what a gigantic figure Bobby Miller was, and and what he meant to them, and and what he means to the barbecue world is secondary to what he meant to them as a dad. Um, but we we feel there's no better way to end this episode than than letting John and Wayne kind of tell us what their dad meant to them, what Louis Miller means to them, and um, how it's going to live on. I, I feel really fortunate in that I have an opportunity to come here every day and I do feel that presence. He is all over the place. His fingerprints are still everywhere. And except now there's more pictures of him up than there was when he was here. You know, he wasn't so much into his own iconoclasm, I guess. But I often will I'll have these conversations with him because when he passed away, it was so sudden. Um, I followed in, in, I followed in his footsteps again, when his father passed away, he didn't close the restaurant because it's not what his dad would have done. So he kept, he kept open for business hours because he said he had a, he had an obligation to his guests. And I totally get that. And when dad passed it was that Saturday morning, we did the same thing. And I think about. I think about it from time to time that I never really had an opportunity to, to grieve his loss. And I'm, you know, I still think that day will come, but each day that I'm here, he's here. I have those conversations with him. And I think as long as I do, he'll always be here with me. So maybe I don't have to worry about that kind of closure until it's way, way late, later down the road, you know. But um, I feel blessed. I really do. I feel blessed. I got to spend 18 months with him in, um, as an adult in a way that I never knew that I, was, I would have that opportunity. And it was in those early morning hours when you're stuffing sausage and when you're trimming briskets and you're just prepping out for the day and there's not much, much else to talk about or do. Um, I, you know, I got up the nerve to actually ask him all those questions I really wanted to know, and, and make all those statements about things that had happened in the past. And 
actually get to hear his responses and, and hear it not as, you know, as an adult to a child, but right. literally as, as an adult to an adult. What were you thinking then, you know? <laughs> Why in the hell did you do that? Um, and give me very frank answers and answers that I could understand today. You know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, I was, I was, I was a handful too, I understand. <laughs> so I, I can't tell you how blessed that was. And when he passed, um, I, don't, I know that I didn't leave anything left unsaid. Even though I didn't know that was coming, it was, it was one, of the, one of the times I can actually say that I really took advantage of the time that I was given. And uh, I, feel, I have always felt really good about that. I feel really blessed. I went into barbecue because my dad was in barbecue. It's about spending time with him and my grandpa, and I, that's why I did it. Uh, I'm still doing it. Uh, no. I miss the building. miss my dad. What would you like everyone to know about your dad that they may or may not know, or how would you like your dad to remember, and how do you think he's remembered? Well... For, for a man who was humble, first off, he was the most humble and reserved individual I knew. He was also, his value set and his beliefs were unwavered. Um, he followed what he believed to be right, and he did right by everyone, even if he was griping while he was doing it. He was... Um, he had, he had the biggest heart, and he would do anything for anyone. I mean, he just wanted, he, all he wanted to do was provide for his family. He never wanted any attention. He just wanted to do right by them, and then he would have a successful life. So I, if more of us were like that, you know, we would have much fewer problems in the world, I think. <laughs> he, was, he was truly an amazing man.